0: We hope you like this album, especially produced for The True Tunes Podcast. Included are some selections by some old friends of yours and mine. Some of the music is upbeat, some of it is contemporary, and we think all of it will be good listening.
1: Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and this is another first for us here on the True Tunes podcast. You may have heard the following conversation with singer-songwriter Taylor Lenhart when we first published this episode a few months back. Then, as you'll hear throughout this conversation, her latest album, Hold Still, was still in process. Now, however, it is out in the world, so we have decided to remix this episode, keeping the original conversation, but changing out the musical clips we originally used for songs from the now-completed and enchanting new album. So, if you already enjoyed this conversation, you can revisit it with some new musical decoration and a taste of the music she was, back then, not quite finished recording. If this is all new to you, well, welcome. Taylor Lenhart has an inviting, youthful, lightly Americana-inflected sound with a sophisticated compositional nature and an invitational presence in both her vocal presentation and her lyrical approach. She's a strong player, a deep thinker, and, as you'll soon hear, a wonderful conversationalist. And again, Hold Still is now available everywhere. But back in April, Taylor gave us a sneak preview of a few of the songs and a glimpse into her creative process and a somewhat harrowing account of the transitions and challenges that made this album so difficult to birth. Throughout Hold Still, we find Lenhart settling deeper into her Americana roots with a supporting cast of world-class musicians bringing the songs to life. She even arranged a special acoustic performance for us. So, if you're not already a Taylor Lenhardt fan, prepare to become one pretty darn fast. If you are already in her tribe, we hope you enjoy this special remix of one of our favorite conversations on the podcast so far.
0: I feel the earth move under my feet.
1: jukebox we will give you a taste of a special spotify playlist curated by taylor which includes several of her musical influences including a specific look at a few artists that loom over this community in the loveliest of ways carol king Amy lou harris patty griffin as well as that album from Alison krauss and robert plant you're gonna dig this one i promise
0: don't go away the true tunes podcast will be back shortly Welcome back to the True Tunes Podcast.
1: Taylor Lenhart is in the middle of a very busy season. You may have seen her playing guitar in Amy Grant's band, alongside Ellie Holcomb and some other amazing women when they played on Good Morning America from the Ryman Auditorium recently. She made her own Ryman debut as well when she performed as a part of Andrew Peterson's Resurrection Letters Easter Monday livestream event from that hallowed stage. So we truly appreciate her taking time out of her schedule to hang out with us. Again, when we recorded and released this conversation a few months back, she was still putting the finishing touches on her new album, Hold Still, which is now available everywhere. Hence, this specially remixed episode. Join us now, in the front room of my East Nashville home, safely distanced of course, where Taylor and I had some coffee and a conversation about her journey thus far.
2: Last night I bought a light, I saw you night online. All these smiling people had it figured out If I could be someone else, someone beside myself I might have a little less to cry about I'm on the other side of the glass Looking at the life they
0: have Ain't it so much better? It's always easier to believe It's easy for them
1: Thank you for being here with us on the True Tunes Podcast. It's really oh, great to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: And thanks for coming here to the house. It's great to f- have somebody back in our home. We've been doing these on screens for so long. It's nice to actually talk to somebody in person.
2: And you're my neighbor, so <laughs> That's right, it was you, a short commute. You're
1: today. a new East Nashville resident. Yes. I want to hear a little bit about your, your background, your childhood, Let's hear about the origin story of oh. of Taylor.
2: I'm 32 years old, so I was born in 1988 in uh, Beaumont, Texas, in kind of like East Texas. But I grew up for the kind of first part of my life in Houston, and we, then we moved when I was in middle school to a little town called New Braunfels, Texas.
1: Oh, I know New Braunfels. Yeah, yeah. so
2: that's where... I spent middle school and high school, and so we moved there. I'm in seventh grade. My brother's in fourth grade. It's a beautiful town. It's a beautiful place to grow up. And I was such a city kid before that, and now I feel like New Braunfels really turned me into like a kind of a small town.
1: Now, did you happen to were you aware of Lee Nash or? Or Sixpence None the Richer, because that's the same town they came from.
2: Oh, it is. Yes, in fact, so they're local legends for sure. <laughs> and I grew up listening to Sixpence None the Richer, like most of my peers. And uh, we went to the same high school. Oh, we okay. were. She went to my high school some years before me, and so you know, that was kind of one of our little claims to fame, and. Uh, also, the high school mascot at New Braunfels High School is the unicorn. So <laughs> I think it's one of the only high schools in the world that has a unicorn mascot. So Lee and I were both unicorns, and I feel like that forever probably uh, will bond us. In fact, I got to meet Lee at a writer's round a few, few years ago, two years ago, and I said, hey, actually, like we grew up in the same town. It's so nice to f- meet you, finally. And she said... Were you a unicorn? And <laughs> they said I was. So um, yeah, that is a kind of a fun little thing that we share.
0: Calm you thankful people call. The song of home. All is safely gathered in-
1: Did you feel like the music of Texas had an influence? Were you listening to the sound of that? of the country did that kind of feed into you creatively
2: yeah you know texas music is definitely its own thing i think you know you could kind of look at it from a thousand feet away and go you know this sounds like country but it's really its own brand of that and its own it has its own dna to me and so there's people like guy clark and and then you have like even kind of a little bit more country sounding like Pat Green and that's definitely the stuff that I listened to growing up in fact really I was listening a lot to oldies music growing up so my dad would play Hank Williams, Patsy Cline, George Jones, Tammy Wynette he loved that kind of country and so we didn't listen to like pop songs on the radio, really, in the car. My parents kept a very firm hand on the radio dial. So we're listening to what they want to listen to. But I think it's great because I got this education in kind of old country and um, and just oldies in general. So I grew up really listening to 60s and 70s singer songwriters, and like Carole King. And kind of, I just knew that world, and that's what I thought music was. And my dad also probably mixed in there is a lot of Creedence Clearwater Revival and The Eagles and that kind of thing. And so, of course, I get into high school and start listening to pop music and have have that kind of going on. But I remember this was probably a turning point in my life was when I watched the movie Elizabethtown, which is like a Cameron Crowe film. Right. And the soundtrack just kind of took my breath away and there's one song in particular um, on that in that film uh, which is Patty Griffin's Long Ride Home and before that point so I'm in high school I've never heard of Patty Griffin she's been around but I I just haven't been introduced to her stuff yet but I hear this song and it it just finds me you know the way a song will do and it, it finds my heart and I think whoever this woman is I've got a I, I'm zeroing in. So I, I probably got every album and just devoured it and became overnight really like <laughs> the biggest Patty Griffin fan. Didn't know it really what she looked like for a while. So now when I went back and watched Elizabethtown again, I realized, oh, she actually makes a cameo in that movie. She's <laughs> right. speaking at the funeral. And I thought, oh, wait, she was there. I didn't even know. So um, and that really opened me up into this whole world of Patty Griffin, Emmylou Harris, uh these w- powerful women americana songwriters that i thought i wasn't writing those kinds of songs that i don't i don't even think at that point i knew i wanted to write music but it, i felt like it it imprinted on me mm-hmm. you know and left this kind of indelible mark on my soul that that really that was that would be what i would return to later
0: there goes the scream
1: Do you remember when you did first start thinking that writing and performing music was going to be really important to you?
2: Well, I mean, so I learned to play guitar my dad taught me. And he had his college guitar kind of in the closet. And, you know, something he likes doing in the evenings, he comes home from work and would get the guitar out of the closet. And, oh, the strings. I just remember this guitar, like, it was beat up and the strings hadn't been changed in probably... Who knows how long? But he'd just play, and he'd kind of play these two song, two or three songs, just over and over again. And I loved listening to him play and sing. And so I think it just occurred to me one day, sitting there, I think I want to, like, I want to play. I want to be able to do that, what he's doing. Um, and so I just asked him to show me, if, you know, a couple chords, and he did, and just started this insatiable thing with me kind of playing music and I ended up teaching you know my dad kind of showed me a couple things and then I really took it from there and I did take lessons at some point but I was the kid sort of trying on lots of different activities you know they put me in softball and girl scouts and all this stuff and I'd always be like I don't know it's not my thing and I were not <laughs> not great at sports but once I found the guitar and kind of started singing these songs I loved man I felt like I could never get enough of that. And then it really was just that. And then you know, in high school, I would play at youth group or play at Young Life or something like that, these kind of little organizations and and clubs I was a part of. And then it was probably the end of high school, getting into college, when I kind of was like, okay, I'm starting to listen to these storytellers like Patty, like Emmylou, like John Prine. And I'm like, I want to tell a story. And so I would do that and a lot of times it would be sort of about somebody else or like I had a friend whose parents were getting a divorce and I remember just feeling the pain of that for her and feeling like what would I want to say to this friend feeling like words were not enough like whatever what you know I could write her a note or I could call her on the phone but I felt like I I it's somehow not communicating what I really want this friend of mine to know. And so I wrote a song and, and somehow experience that mystery of what happens when you take poetry really, and lyric and melody, and somehow you're able to say way more mm-hmm. than you can say with just, I love you. I'm here for you. Right. And um, so, man, I, I kind of, kind of got addicted to it at that point, And I thought, communication is so important to me and words and language and, and connection with people and I thought here's my avenue to do that you know here's something I love which is music and rhythm and lyrics and melody and what I can actually use that to you know connect with people I love you're on the move again saying
0: you through Don't know what to do again On your own Walk in the street tonight
2: Under a neon light You just want some
0: peace And quiet, I know Hold still Don't
2: run You'll never If you take off,
0: when it gets real, you want to be held, you
1: got You mentioned that you had groups. Yeah. So whether it was a youth group or a Young Life or something, yeah. or you had friends that going through certain things. So you yeah. had inspiration to write about certain things. You had an audience to, to play for. And it's, it's interesting how that can really shape how we evolve early on mm-hmm. as creative people, because so much of what our instinct is, is to serve a need, but also to have an audience. It's interesting yeah. how we evolve by both the audience that's there for us and the inspiration and need that's there. And if yes. we're listening for it, uh, it seemed like you had a good yeah. combination of those things. And, and you, you're saying you got good feedback from the people around you that's, that valued what you were doing as well
2: totally i think that's actually a great point that i i don't know that i've considered that and think about how even my creativity and music was being poured into a container and this is the particular container that gave it its shape in that time i think that can even change over the years and you find yourselves in different in different environments in a different container but definitely i think You know, there's this kind of, I don't know if people when they think of artists or songwriters, sometimes I think they think it's all about self-expression. It's all about what do I have to say to the world? Right. Actually, it's not just what do I want to say and now I'm saying it. It's what I want to jump into a conversation that's already happening. So, So much of it is listening to what's already, like who's around you, what's being said, and then jumping into that conversation. So to think that you can kind of create in a vacuum, and it's all about what you want and what you think is, I think you're missing the bigger picture there of, yeah, we're, we're shaped and um, really, like serving the people around us. And I, w- I would, you know, argue that I couldn't write music if I wasn't in those places in those containers. I want to have the conversation, you know, and yeah. I want to I wanna learn. And I'm very curious, I right. think, you know, and that, that serves you well as any kind of um, artist. My God, my head I said one, but I had more instead My God, it's a train wreck Crash collision with a side of regret
1: What point did you start to realize, you know what, this is going to be my life, and what did you do to start to make that happen?
2: Oh, man. I never was the kid growing up who thought, like, if you asked my parents, I don't think they would have said, oh, she dreamed about being a singer-songwriter, or this wasn't the vision I had as a kid. I don't think I had figured that out yet and was sort of trying my hand at lots of things, but... I went to college and got a psychology degree and really thought you know music was something I loved I didn't see it I was kind of in that zone where I thought this is I love doing this I feel like I can do it in these environments I can sing at church whatever and, and enjoy that but I don't need to that's probably my I'll write songs in my spare time and what what a fun hobby to have I was kind of in that world, but I get this psych degree, and I kind of pursue jobs in social work. I tried that for a while, and I kind of try I was working for a nonprofit and then I think no i I was working with kids at this non nonprofit so I think maybe I should be a teacher i I really like working with these kids and um I've always liked reading, and I had some idea that I, you know, that's all that being a teacher is—you get to read fun books with kids. <laughs> and there's a lot more to it, turns out. So, uh, so I kind of go down that road of being a teacher a little bit, and that doesn't really—and it was somewhere in the midst of that I really felt my self, I felt my heart and my soul kind of trying to find what is my work in the world, what's mine here to do. All the meanwhile, I'm writing songs and I'm listening to people's stories and I'm responding to them with the with these songs and listening to my own story even at this point and and writing and it's just something that I never stopped doing. It felt natural to me in a sense, like breathing. And uh, so this one day, a family um, that I knew, they kind of they had gone to something called a house concert, which I know you're very familiar with at the time I was not I was like what is a house concert and they say we went to this house concert and you know there's this guy with this guitar and he's just singing songs and it was beautiful like the living room was full and the kitchen table was like you know covered in food and so people were just together and enjoying music in this really intimate beautiful way and they had gone to this house concert and just loved it it. and so these wonderful friends of mine said we want to have a house concert and we thought who do we know that writes songs and so we thought of you and we were wondering if you wanted to come play your songs and i i remember being like oh man I, at this point i had done you know covered like coffee shop gigs and like i said singing at church that kind of thing but i never really performed songs i'd written like where this this is my show and i'm going to so I'm kind of shaking in my boots but at the same time I feel this deep kind of invitation to say yes to that and I'm like okay let's do it and you know this living room was filled with probably 60 70 people kind of spilling into the kitchen and outside and here I am like singing all my songs I've ever written, because no one had ever really taught me at this point how to build a set list, so I'm like, (laughs) I guess I just sing all the songs. (laughs) So I just sang them all and told stories and felt like something shifted in me that night, and I think it it was that conversation piece, because I'd been writing songs in my room and enjoying that and sometimes sharing those with friends, but here I was with a group of people, and it felt like, it felt like magic and it felt like i felt people responding to what i was doing and it wasn't even so much about applause or great job although you know i'm a human being of course i i need that kind of stuff too but it was more about the story that i felt like we were telling together so that night i kind of have this almost like holy experience and I just know I think there was a knowing that kind of almost settled on me that night of I think this is what I want to do with my life now do I know how to do that or mm-hmm. what the next step is no and I'm am I scared to tell people yes but I also just knew I have got to keep walking toward this I've been out all night trying
0: calling but you won't pick up the phone you're dragging your heavy heart
1: It's interesting because again the the opportunity and the space that makes sense hearing that that your formative experience wasn't a club or an opening gig for a big artist or what it was a house show because mm-hmm. that immediacy and intimacy is so baked into the the sound of your mm-hmm. songs now compositionally you're a, an accomplished guitar player first yeah. time i heard you i thought this Young woman has definitely uh, developed some skills. So, what inspired you, and what were what were you listening to? How were you developing such um, abilities as a as a musician? Mm. Um, what kind of bar were you holding up for yourself? How was that happening? Because you definitely were functioning at a higher level than wow many.
2: Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. I think um, I didn't go to music school, and sometimes I regret that or or sometimes I wonder if I would have made a different choice if I had kind of caught a vision for the life I would lead like earlier but so I don't know music theory very well when when people talk music theory I'm kind of I get lost quickly it feels more like I learned a language from living in the country and from listening and so and I certainly did a lot of that and I think I I always maybe it was like that curiosity mixed with desire and all that but when I would listen to even in high school I remember listening to a lot of John Mayer who's a fantastic guitar player and I would just go okay well I want to play the song I'm gonna look up how he plays it and I there wasn't even really YouTube at that point I think YouTube hit when I was in college so in high school I just looked up a lot of you know tabs and would listen to the songs and just go try as you know read the tabs and kind of go okay i'm trying to and so i think really just so much of it is probably like if there was a tool i developed it was probably just my ear for going like what's happening and you know sometimes i like would even notice like oh this this tab is wrong and i would make, you know i'd make my own things i'm like i'm listening and This is not the same thing. And so just kind of like getting really, and it just felt so fun to me. Um, I think, you know, even when you're talking about like physical exercise, like where you develop strength is kind of in that tension. So I did have this wonderful guitar teacher for about a year, um, my freshman year of high school. And he would make me learn songs that felt so hard to play. So this is early on in my playing And he made me learn um, Blackbird, which, you know, with my skill where it was at the time, he just would go, no, you can play this. Mm -hmm. And would make me play it to the metronome and kind of like make me listen and go, okay, now figure this out. And I think having someone even go, you're capable of more than what you're doing right now is really a powerful thing in my life. And I think I feel that if you're, you know, whether you're talking about guitar playing or even songwriting, like listening to people who are much better than you right. and and if you're lucky maybe having someone like that saying hey i actually think that you're capable right. of this then you also get to do something fun as an artist or a musician as you get to find out your style and kind of mm-hmm. settle into that and go oh you know like i there's a particular way i think that i play in a pocket and there, there's things that I emphasize and I know that it's it's not always what everyone's looking for, but it's totally me.
0: The empty filled,
2: the wounded healed, the broken back, together, the poor are blessed, the weary rest,
0: we will dance forever. The blinded sea, the chained are free,
2: the doubtful now believer, the outcast known,
0: the orphan, home, you are my redeemer. Behold, behold, behold what love can do. Behold, behold, he's making all
2: things new. I ended up living in North Carolina for almost a decade. Um, kind of left Texas after high school and found my way there. Did this kind of one-year internship in North Carolina and then thought, you know, I'll find my spot after that. And, uh, but it turns out that was my spot for a while. It was Raleigh, North Carolina, which is kind of, you know, over there by Chapel Hill. It's like two hours from the coast and... um Two other like very significant people in my life um, were also living in Raleigh at the time, and one of those people was Krista Wells, um, who's been on the podcast before. Of ours, she yeah. is like now my big sister, and when I was you know we talked about this moment where I thought okay i want to I want to do music like I'm walking down this road and one of the first people I met after saying that was Krista Wells, a oh. mutual friend connected us and said, "You've got to meet this woman." Krista, she's like an amazing, award-winning songwriter. She lives right here. She's got a ton of kids. But, you know, like someone that you should um, spend time with. And if you spend any time with Krista, you'll realize she's one of the most gracious humans on the planet and has such a heart for younger people and kind of going, just pulling people along with her. And I was fortunate to be the recipient of that. And she just, right away, I felt like, looked for so many opportunities to teach me, to help me, to... She'd say, hey, come play guitar with me on this gig I have. Or, hey, I'm speaking about songwriting at this thing, and I need help with the merch tape. You know, I don't know if she right. how much help she really needed, but she'd find all these great excuses to kind of have me around. And so she introduced me to, um, who would later become my bandmate, and one of my best friends, Jess Ray, because she's like, she's just one of those connectors so then i have these two musical friends i end up living in north carolina for almost 10 years and that's kind of the place where i write all these songs for riverhouse and i really north carolina feels like the place where if i caught the vision for being a songwriter and then really just said okay i'm gonna hunker down and like try to get better at this thing and uh, learn so much there
1: we're going to step away from the conversation for just a bit to crank up the True Tunes jukebox. We've been dropping lots of names and throwing around quite a few musical references here on this episode, so I asked Taylor if she would help curate a special Spotify playlist in much the same way we did with Phil Madeira and Buddy Miller. She agreed, and the resulting list is linked in the show notes page for this episode. For this segment, we have loaded up the jukebox with four albums from her list that have not only spoken into Taylor's journey, but have hovered over the True Tune story in deep and important ways. So, I'm going to drop this Susan B. Anthony dollar in the machine here, and see what happens. And it's too- There's really no overstating how massive and influential Carole King's 1971 album Tapestry was. Already an incredibly successful writer of hit songs for other artists, Tapestry presented King as the unassuming and unadorned artist the world needed. From the way her compositions moved from piano-driven rock to brill-building classic pop to epic folk, to the way her thoughtful and vulnerable lyrics swung from celebratory swagger to deeply personal regret, it all formed, yes, a tapestry that refused cliches and led with empathy. And, despite King's less-than-showy voice and the album's simple presentation, it exploded in the hearts and minds of listeners both then and in the half-century since its release. Tapestry has sold more than 14 million copies, landed on too many critics lists to count, and continues to be cited by artists as one of the most important singer-songwriter albums ever. In my opinion, it is one of the 10 or 20 albums every songwriter should absolutely study if they are serious about understanding the craft.
0: You just fall.
1: Emmylou Harris had long been a darling on the fringes of the country music scene before Daniel Lanois began working with her in 1995. Of course, Harris's name will forever be firmly intertwined with her mentor and friend, Graham Parsons. As a member of both the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers, as well as as a solo artist, Parsons is credited as one of the architects of the cosmic country sound that still informs modern Americana music in a big way.
0: again until the thrill is gone then sweep out the ashes in the
1: morning back then parsons welcomed artists like the rolling stones into the twang and laid a foundation for later artists like linda ronstadt and the eagles to build upon but when he died so young harris continued as a paragon of roots country even as the genre evolved and changed throughout the 80s When Harris connected with producer Daniel Lanois in the mid nineties, however, she transformed from being a symbol of Americana's past An ambassador of its present popularity. Lanois, best known for his work with Peter Gabriel, U2, and Bob Dylan, brought an ambient edge to Harris's sound that drew attention to her ethereal voice and the spiritual essence of her artistry. Her voice danced and shimmered, and the album soared, breathing new life not only into Harris's career and legacy, but into the emerging Americana genre as a whole.
0: Thought I'd died, thought I'd died and gone to hell Looking for the water from a deeper well I went to the river but the river was dry I fell to my knees and I looked to the sky Looked to the sky and the spring rain fell I saw the water from a deeper well
1: Patty Griffin has one of those voices that just cuts through whatever track it is placed in and challenges the listener to consider it carefully. It took her a few albums to settle into who she really wanted to be and to extricate herself from contracts with companies that were intent on shaping her into the next this or that. But by the time she emerged with the 1000 Kisses album in 2002, Griffin was a seasoned writer in possession of a uniquely graceful and focused vocal instrument.
0: People steal, they cheat and lie. For wealth and work, it will buy. But don't they know on Judgment Day, gold and silver.
1: She would go on to win a Grammy Award in 2010 for her buddy Miller produced Roots gospel album Downtown Church and again in 2019 for her self-titled Folk album. For many though, the real eye-opener came with that 2002 album One Thousand Kisses and especially the song Long Ride Home, which got extra attention via the soundtrack to Cameron Crowe's Elizabethtown.
0: Forty years go you see, I you wish you never said How hard would it have been To say some kinder words instead I wonder as I stare up At the sky turning red I've had some time to think about And watch the sun sink like a storm I've had some time to think about you All along
1: if there was a stop the presses moment in the music scene of 2007, it was the unexpected and breathtaking T-Bone Burnett produced collaboration between classic rock monster Robert Plant and bluegrass Americana angel Allison Krauss. Their album, Raising Sand, was one of those rare planetary alignments with the trio choosing an incredible batch of songs Plant and Krauss performing at the absolute height of their powers, and it all being captured in sonic clarity, simplicity, and perfection.
0: Some sunny day, baby, when everything seems okay, baby, you wake up and find that you're alone, cause I'll be gone, 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 really gone, 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 gone. cause you tell
1: As the era of digital music and hyped-up pop ravaged the airwaves and earbuds of the world, this devastatingly quiet and relentlessly analog album sold millions of copies, swept the Grammy Awards, and recalibrated millions of people's heads and hearts, at least for a moment or two. The delicate Sister Rosetta Goes Before Us, written by Sam Phillips, paid long-overdue homage to Sister Rosetta Tharp, the electric guitar-rocking, gospel-singing African-American pioneer who would probably have been credited as the inventor of rock and roll, not to mention gospel rock, if not for her sex and color.
0: Strange things are happening. has left me
1: lot more on the playlist, including John Prine, Guy Clark, Bob Dylan, Patsy Cline, Sandra McCracken, Billy Joel, Bonnie Raitt, Ryan Adams, David Wilcox, Brandy Carlisle, and many more. It's clear when you listen to a playlist like this how important influences and inspiration are to the formation of artists like Taylor. But... We have a lot more conversation to get to, so we're going to let the jukebox cool down for now. Thanks Taylor for this amazing list and thanks Taylor's mom and dad for pouring so much great music into her so she can pour so much out into the world. And now, back to the front room with some more coffee and conversation with Taylor Leonard. Tell me a little bit about you as a collaborator and how that has evolved. And it seems like that has almost entirely been in this sort of sacred music space. How has that evolved and fit into your creative life as well?
2: I think a lot of that collaboration really has come out of this Mission House project that um, we started. And so, yeah, my friend Jess Ray. We were both kind of doing our independent solo stuff, but we're you know, we're almost exactly the same age. We we're both at the time living in Raleigh, North Carolina. So Jess and I we're different. We have different personalities, but very kindred hearted. And um so we kinda of became friends really fast. And it felt easy. I think the collaborate. you know, sometimes you collaborate with people, you're like, We are really crossing a major hurdle to work with each other. And with Jess, it was like It feels like we have been singing together for years or playing together. And um, it just was fun. It was so fun for both of us, I think. And so we, you know, we're a part of this group of young adults that were just wanting to get together every week. And we were like, you know what? We're wanting to find a space together where we can really feel like that true sense of community and just to be known and loved. And so we started this thing on Monday nights and we would – make dinner and then we would just sing songs together and um it just felt so sweet and like there's so much friendship was born in that little room um and that room got bigger and there are more and more people it got a little bit like where okay we're doing this every week and there's a lot of people here and as we got to know the people in this room we realized like okay We're looking for the right songs and we're kind of struggling to find them and kinda going like, Okay, these aren't fitting like what maybe I feel like we we need to sing and so Jess and I were having this sense of like, our friends need to sing this kind of song and we, we can't find that song. So sometimes we would just we would write one or sometimes that night we would come up with like a little chorus idea to sing together. And so all of a sudden we had this pile of songs. I you know, sacred songs and I would say the real distinction is there's sacred elements to the music we create individually, but the stuff we were writing together felt like it's meant to be really sung by a group of people. Right. We have this little pile of songs. Jess, who's like the ever visionary, says, let's record them so that our friends can listen to them whenever they want. So she just produces this whole little project, and we do that at her house. And then we, our friend, Andrew Osenga, rolls into town to play a show. And we take him out to dinner after the show and he says, Hey, I just got a job at A and R you know, being the new A and R guy at Integrity Music. And um I'm kind of looking for people who are writing these sort of sacred songs for people to sing together, this kind of congregational stuff. And Jess and I look at each other like, Should we you know, should we do we tell him <laughs> about this thing? So we do, we're like, Well, actually that's so funny that you asked that. Like we do have a whole pile that we already Produced like they're here. You could listen to him. We send it along. We send him like kind of just little like videos of this community that we're a part of, and and he's like, okay, well, like this is kind of this is something special. We're like thrilled to kind of partner with In- integrity. But the funny part was we're like being offered a record deal, and we're not even a band really yet. Right. You know, it was, we're two right. friends like writing these songs, so we had to make up a band name and make up a band basically to kind of carry this vision forward and it was just it was cool to sort of go this was very much a thing that was born out of friendship not something we were looking for so that's just been a joy and really through that it has really led to a lot of the you know I felt like music was so this thing I was doing by myself or maybe doing with Jess kind of half the time and now because of our partnership with Integrity and all that stuff and getting to come to Nashville all the time it's like all of a sudden we met these incredible people making music and my musical world just expanded I could dive into the ocean into the bottom of
0: glass I could hide out in the future I could burrow in the past but you cannot resist your tendency to save me from myself I'm living on your mercy in the belly of a whale I have done some things I'm proud of and so many
1: Tell me about the, the current project and how all of this has come to this culmination and where we're at right now.
2: Yeah. You know, I had done this album, River House, and it kind of had its own sound. My friend Jess produced that album, and it was so fun. We made it in her mom's spare bedroom, and it was just so this DIY vibe. And then over the years, I've been playing those songs, and I think I was just feeling this growing desire to, for my music to sound more like some of this music that I had just loved like these records I listened to like Raising Sand, you know, um, or Red Dirt Girl. This is what I keep coming back to, these albums. Really I think I think I just want to make an Americana record. And really that was less me going, I will do this and more like I was writing songs and they were starting to sound more and more like this stuff that had always been in me. And so I thought, okay, what would it look like to make a record that really like let these songs be, I think, what they're trying to be? And so I kind of found a producer, Lucas Morton, and, yeah, made this whole plan, and I thought, okay, this album's going to come out in 2020, and here's the whole thing, and we're going to record it live. Like, we're going to, you know, we're going to get a band together. We're going to play these songs, and I really wanted the band to be a big part of the record and inform the way the track sounded instead of here's your part and we'll layer it in. So we had this whole beautiful plan. And then, of course, as we were all surprised, then COVID-19 happened.
1: But you actually got the band together and... That's
2: so true, yes. So we did start, we kind of said, you know, I did actually sort of like a private little Kickstarter to just get started. I was like, okay... I'm going to need to do a a bigger crowdfunding campaign than I've done before. And so I want to show people what I'm doing. So so in order to do that, I thought, I'll get the band together to track a couple songs. We'll film it. We'll capture it. And then we can kind of share that with people and say, this is what it is, so that people could kind of understand that and feel like they could be a part of it from the beginning. We... Booked a couple days at Ocean Way, first in February 2020, and then in February 2021. And uh, yeah, so so there's this crazy year that happens between um, the the beginning and then the second round. And, you know, I went into this project with this real kind of intense timeline and almost a sense of great urgency, like, I've got to put a record out – now, my last thing came out in 2017, and so, you know, let's move this along, people. And so that was the great joke of, of 2020 was like, yeah, well, Or yeah, or, I mean, you know, Here's and I, I'm forced out of that. And I think, gosh, there's a lot of just tragedy of the past year. I think that there was a great gift in it for me of working within those great limitations and... The real joy was by the fall of 2020, we were able to run the Kickstarter that I was planning on running, and it was a crazy experience. And then when I got back with the band, February 2021, which is just a, a few months ago, you know, we're we're gathering the first morning at the studio, and I'm you know kind of thanking everyone for being there, and I I just cry yeah. because I I was so. I felt the whole weight of that year of not knowing, of of what we'd all been through, of being separate and isolated and kind of going, will people make music again? Will we get together again? Will we, you know, like all of the pain of that kind of hit me in that moment. And then I'm looking around and I'm like, but like we're back, we're together again. We're going to, we are actually going to finish this project. And the truth is like I wrote most of the songs in midst of the pandemic year so it's it's crazy because I'm in no way would invite this kind of thing on the world and I and there's been great loss in it so I say this very carefully but I I am grateful for what I was able to mine you know out of that and for these songs that came really at the right time and that now we have this beautiful record that I think will speak to people right where they are I just think people are carrying a lot of trauma and a lot of loss and a lot of grief and a lot of questions and I am so glad that I feel like we made this record that really like it doesn't answer that question but it speaks into it and hopefully will bring comfort and make people feel less alone So this Kickstarter goes through, and I'm like, whoa, this is crazy, and I'm so thankful, and we're going to make this record, and then I quickly realize it's October. It's no- actually, it's November 2020, and I realize, oh, so I have to write <laughs> songs now. <laughs> and so I just go straight into kind of like songwriting mode and, man, put my head down and worked on that. And one of the fun things about this album which I did not do on my last record is I invited co-writers into this space you know I'd always written Taylor Linhart songs just me just Taylor and I thought I had really started to subscribe to this idea that inviting other people into the process can actually elevate what you're doing and I mean you do that carefully and and you think about who those people are but One beautiful thing that's happened in my life over the last couple of years is that I've met incredible songwriters. So I was like, I have the opportunity to really work with my friends and invite them into my songs and make them better than they are. And so like in November, um, I called a friend of mine, Leslie Jordan, who's become a great friend to me and almost, you know, like she's just teaching me so much about how to use my voice and how to dig deep and how to really serve people with your songs and I called Leslie and said hey let's I'd love to write with you for my album and we get together and I'd been reading uh Henry Nowen Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: uh, this particular book he's one of my favorite authors and there's a particular book called The Inner Voice of Love um it's almost journal like diary entries and he's writing to himself and so I'm reading this book last fall and there's one passage that just kind of stuck with me and I'd been kind of carrying it around with me for a while and, it, and he talks about your interior life being like a castle and if you imagine like a castle has a, a drawbridge that goes across a moat and so many of us um, he says you know you just you just leave the bridge down and anyone can come anyone can come take whatever they want and this is what it means to live a life with no boundaries. And that was something I was very much learning in some kind of difficult family relationships and personal relationships was, how do I take good care of myself? And is that that okay to do? And so Leslie and I are just talking about this book. I didn't think necessarily, oh, I'm going to write a song about this. I'm talking about this. I was like, I kind of have an idea for how you could maybe make a song out of the or make some verses out of this image. And we just kind of start, we just dive into it. And so we wrote the song, it's called The Bridge. And so I'm really excited about that one and what Leslie was able to, I feel like, really draw out that day and the way she was able to really help me tell that story. I just know, gosh, this song would not have happened without this year, without Henry Nowen, without Leslie. And so um, I'm so excited for that one.
1: Taylor gave us something really special we are excited to share with you here. This is a simple acoustic work tape phone recording that captures the writing of the bridge as it was first being created by Taylor and Leslie Jordan. You can hear the spots where the lyrics might not be fully fleshed out or maybe they are still nailing down exactly how the melody will go. It's a rare glimpse into the writing process that few artists are willing to share. Let's take a listen.
2: Imagine a castle just beyond the walls the river surrounded there's only got nothing to give, and I could play the victim, but let's call a spade what it is, it's nobody's fault, my own smile, There's one song that kind of comes first and makes you think there's a record here. Uh And for me, it was the song Poetry. This song came before, It came before the pandemic, came before really I knew I was making an album.
0: kind of patience that will trust the slow steady word
2: of God beneath the surface every moment working for our good. is what makes music work. It's kind of what makes our lives work. In a poem, the space is just as important as the words. And with poetry, every word is on purpose. I mean, you think about the the author, the poet kind of sitting with this blank page going, "What is the exact thing um you know, to put here?" And so I was thinking about this. There is actually, um, from a scripture, it's from the book of Ephesians, and it says, we are his, um, a lot of translations of the Bible say workmanship. But I had, I had heard someone say one time that that word workmanship is actually like this Greek word, poema. Mm-hmm. And, and asked that question like, but what if, what if we are, the poetry of God. And so then it was so fun for me to imagine God, the poet, sitting back and creating us and, you know, wondering about who we would be and kind of just every word of who we are being something that's very intentional and delighted in and delighted over. And so I think here's really the song that I need in those moments of my life because I think sometimes – there's these. If we're a poem, there's a certain word in there or a space that feels like we don't like it or it feels uncomfortable or I feel like I'm in between stanzas right now. And I just, to kind of think like, okay, but what if the whole thing is telling a story and what if that's not about usefulness or how good we are at something, but what if it's about being beautiful? You know, what if it's about... Yeah. So, so kind of just, I I guess that it was one of those songs that sort of dropped into my heart a little bit. And, uh, I'm, I'm so glad as I continue to share that song, I think people find a home in it because who can't relate to this waiting, you know, and this kind of, this tension of living in this world that is hard to do, you know, and heartbreaking and, um, So I I wanted to talk about what might be happening underground, you know, kind of while we're waiting for the spring to come.
1: What was your thinking finally in moving here? And when someone asks you that question, what would you say about the transition and when is it time?
2: I think something that happened was when we started really coming to Nashville more, we would we'd set up rights with people where we'd you know, get invited to these kind of creative writing retreats and d- doing stuff like that. And I started just naturally kind of organically making friends here and my work trips to Nashville felt very not like work to me it felt like I'm getting to do the thing that I really love doing the most and I'm meeting all these kinds of people that are just interesting and um, yeah sort of pursuing the kind of creative life that I really want and you know there's this kind of that you can feel here. Um, And so it just felt like these are people I want to be around and learn from and just like spend time with. And so all of a sudden it was kind of like I was slowly building a community in another town. It's almost as if I felt like if my life had a center of gravity, that center of gravity was shifting from North Carolina to Nashville almost before my address shifted. Mm -hmm. And I was finding myself going, coming two times a month and just like how how much can i be here for me i just came to the point where my eventually felt like i didn't want to wait anymore if i i felt like i knew that eventually i was going to need to catch up with my center of gravity so why not do that now you know and i i i also felt like for me there was never going to be a day that just felt like this is the perfect time to move and
0: <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a huge <laughs> right, risk right. and right.
2: T- the humor of it all was like the time that I did pick to move was l- literally in the middle of right. a global pandemic so, and, and you know it's, it's a testament to my friends here the friendliness and um, kind of invitational spirit of this town that even in the midst of like a pretty crazy year it's been wonderful to be here and I felt like I've been it's feeling like a place that I could really get used to. When I say the wrong thing, when I go too far, when I make a bad joke, and then it breaks your heart, when I can't help showing off and playing to the crowd, I hope. You'll still keep me around when I get defensive, when my ego's bruised, when I start throwing punches and the punches land on you, when I'm trying. You'll still keep me around For the love that I am lacking For the good I
0: leave undone I confess I have not been the friend I'm desperate to still keep
1: As we were winding down, I remembered a story I recently heard Taylor share at a house concert she did in a backyard here in Nashville in conjunction with Under the Radar and the new Porchlight Network. She talked about having spent a summer studying French in Paris and what it taught her about the difference between learning a language and really understanding it. It seemed particularly relevant to the ongoing theme we have dialed in here about listening. So I asked her if she would share that story again here for us.
2: studied French in, in high school, even though I grew up in Texas, where it would make a lot more sense to study Spanish. Um, but I chose French just to be a little different and difficult, I guess. And, uh, (laughs) I studied French and then I went to college and I kept going. I mean, I had no real plans with it, but I just loved, I did love the language so much and some of the culture. And so I kept signing up for these advanced French classes and, uh, I found out from my advisor that I was only maybe six credits shy of a French minor, which sounded kind of cool. But she said, to do that, we would require um, students minoring to do a study abroad program, which you could do this summer. And so I am pumped about the thought of like going to a school in Paris and spending a summer there and somehow talk to my parents into you know, the whole thing. And uh, at this point, I think I'd been taking six or seven years of French classes. So I just think, oh, I have got this down. And I'm I'm going to Paris like, this is going to be the best of my life. Like, I'm so ready for this. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be basically this, like, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, like, walking <laughs> through the street. This cobblestone <laughs> streets with, like, local school children following me around, <laughs> and just carrying like my fresh baguette from the from the bakery and oh gosh it's so embarrassing now to think about how overly confident i was and then of course so i go to paris and you know you, you go on this like really long flight that i couldn't sleep on and so i just like stay up watching movies on this flight the whole time and then i get there and i'm bleary eyed and tired and navigating the paris airport and i get to this house where i'm going to live for the summer. Um, and it's it's just me and this kind of older woman who's taking me in for the summer and I just remember putting my bags down and she's so warm and kind but she's talking to me in French of course very rapidly. <laughs> and and I sort of, you know, even in my in my tiredness, I'm I'm kind of listening to her and that's when it I realize I do not know. I I can't make out what she's saying. I don't understand it. <laughs> This language I've been studying for seven (laughs) years, now someone's speaking to me, and I don't have, I have no clue what she's saying. I mean, little words here and there, but really, like, the comprehension is not happening. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, and now the summer is looking, I'm just looking ahead at it, like, what am I going to do? And it was a struggle. I mean, in my classes, in restaurants, like, Paris is just, it moves fast, and Some people do speak English to you, but I was constantly in this environment of people talking at me, talking around me, and me going, I do not belong here. I don't fit here. Like, I should be at home. And I thought, whoa, it is a crazy thing, language, and how much that is like the currency almost of relationship and connection. Really, we're all looking for people who speak our language, whether that's like, English and French, or just like, gosh, I really love I love reading these Wendell Berry novels. And then you meet someone else who reads the same kind of book that you do, and you're like, I thought I was the only one who's, who was obsessed with this. And it's like you, that you 2 moment um, that C.S. Lewis talks about. And I think that's just what we're all so hungry for. So it took me kind of going across the world to kind of realize like, oh, that's what loneliness is. It's this feeling of like, I don't have a way to communicate with you, which means I really, I don't have a way to connect with you and feel known and feel loved. So that has informed that memory. It has informed so much of my songwriting. And what I really hope to do as an artist, which is to like find that language for the people who are like, is there anyone who thinks like me? Is there anyone who's been through this kind of thing? And just to go, hey, I... I have. And I'm I'm speaking your language. I almost see myself sometimes as a translator because I feel at home and I feel like I walk the middle road on so, in so many ways. And I think so. Sometimes I'm listening to one person. I go, I think I know what you mean by that. You're saying this. I think I know what you really mean. Or over here, I'm hearing you say this like on these two sides. And I almost sometimes want to go, I want to tell both people like, if only you could hear that you're mm-hmm. either you think you're saying the same thing and you're not or... You're actually saying two two different things, or maybe you are. But I think one of my favorite questions has become, okay, when you use that word, like, what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. And just really getting curious and listening to, like, because there's all this stuff, and I think we just define things so differently. But if we took time to go, well, tell me what you mean by that. Or, man, I'm curious about how you landed on that position. Like, maybe you could explain that to me instead of assuming that we would know that or that right. you know I think this thought that runs through our minds so often is, well, how could this person think that way, vote for this person, believe this thing or not believe this thing? When really we are so informed by our stories, our experiences, if you take time to listen to that in another human being, you're only you're gonna walk away Hopefully with a friend and, yeah. you know, more, more understanding. Been through their
1: That's going to do it for my conversation with Taylor, for now anyway, and I feel like we covered a lot of what I would normally say at the end of an episode through this conversation, but I'll go ahead and pull my soapbox out for just a couple of minutes here and share something I found recently when reading through a collection of works by the novelist Flannery O'Connor. O'Connor, who is often referred to as a master of the Southern Gothic genre was known as an artist who allowed her faith to profoundly inform her work without it ever limiting who she was able to reach. And her commitment to stare unflinchingly into some of the darkest and seemingly ugliest aspects of the human soul is what gives her work such resonance, potency, and I believe longevity. The following is an excerpt from an essay called The Regional Writer, which was originally published in 1963, about a year before O'Connor died of lupus at just 39 years old. Although throughout this piece she is referring to novelists, everything she says seems perfectly applicable to songwriters, as far as I'm concerned. She may be talking about southerners and novelists, but the beauty and importance of location, dialect, and all of the unique things that make this place distinct from that place, and some of the myths we attach to the creative personality that, well, I think I can relate to in several different ways. Here, let me dive right in. From The Regional Writer by Flannery O'Connor. Fortunately, the Georgia writer's work often belongs in that larger and more meaningful category, Southern literature, And it is really about that that I have a word to say. There is one myth about writers that I have always felt was particularly pernicious and untruthful, the myth of the, quote, lonely writer, end quote, the myth that writing is a lonely occupation involving much suffering because supposedly the writer exists in a state of sensitivity which cuts him off or raises him above or casts him below the community around him. This is a common cliche, a hangover probably, from the Romantic period and the idea of the artist as a sufferer and rebel. Probably any of the arts that are not performed in a chorus line are going to come in for a certain amount of romanticizing, but it seems to me particularly bad to do this to writers, and especially fiction writers, because fiction writers engage in the homeliest and most concrete and most unromanticizable of all arts. I suppose there have been enough genuinely lonely suffering novelists to make this seem a reasonable myth, but there is every reason to suppose that such cases are the rest of of less admirable qualities in these writers, qualities which have nothing to do with the vocation of writing itself. Unless the novelist has gone utterly out of his mind, his aim is still communication, and communication suggests talking inside a community. One of the reasons Southern fiction thrives is that our best writers are able to do this. They are not alienated. They are not lonely, suffering artists grasping for purer air. The Southern writer apparently feels the need of expatriation less than other writers in this country. Moreover, when he does leave and stay gone, he does so at great peril and observation, which is so necessary to maintain if fiction is to be true. The isolated imagination is easily corrupted by theory, but the writer inside his community seldom has such a problem. Again, a reading from The Regional Writer by Flannery O'Connor from 1963. Though not always, Creativity usually involves the production of something that we hope someone else will experience. It's in that dynamic that art, be it a novel or a song or a painting, becomes part of the fabric of community. And even as we find ourselves increasingly able to consume creative products individually, let's not forget that the essence of this stuff, maybe even the mystical purpose for which it was created is to draw us out of ourselves and into each other's space experiences and lives. I'm so grateful for artists like Taylor who inspire me to listen better and to create with an audience in mind. And for authors like Flannery O'Connor who stared down the darkness until the beauty emerged and inspired generations as a result. I can't even imagine what the Americana music scene of the last 30 years would sound like, or if there would even have been such a scene without the words her heart put into the world through such suffering, weakness, and pain. Alright, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. That's going to do it for this specially remixed episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell your friends about our show. Please subscribe to our email list and give us a good rating and review at Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you can. You can find links to Taylor's music and a complete list of all the music you heard on this episode on the show notes page at TrueTunes.com. A big thanks as always to my co-producer and engineer Bruce A. Brown and to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for our theme song Full Circle. The contents of the podcast are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copyrighted material. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be Reached at JJT at TrueTunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT, inviting you to dig deep, listen hard, love well, stay tuned, and stay true. Everyone's
0: out. So it's just you, and me. And Bruce.